Progressive Radio News Hour with Stephen Ledman, Thursdays at 11 a.m. and weekends at 1 p.m. on the Progressive Radio Network. It has been a long, long, long time since I last had Catherine Austin Fitz on the program. But today's the day. I'm delighted to have her back. And so much going on. Catherine, I welcome you. Oh, let me just tell listeners who may be listening for the first time. I'm Steve Lindman, and this is the Progressive Radio News Hour. And uh, we do try to feature top people like Catherine discussing major world and national topics. So much going on, Catherine, and I must say I have uh, focused very heavily on Middle East events and on Wisconsin. Today I'm doing my sixth Wisconsin-related article, but I'm I'm also upset because there's a big world out there, and there's an awful lot going on. It's not just the Middle East, uh, despite the headlines and importance, and it's not just Wisconsin. Uh, there are so many things going on. So what better guest to have on to talk about the world as you see it, uh, uh-huh. uh, going at any topic or topics you wish. Whew, I'll take a deep breath and say welcome again, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to be back. Oh, it is wonderful. I I know you've been doing so much besides Solari, and uh, for listeners who don't know you... What have I been doing besides Solari? (laughs) Solari, I think I've been doing Solari 24 hours a day. Solari, Solari, Salami. It is Solari. (laughs) Oh, for listeners who don't know you, I hope they do. Let me just tell them who you are. Uh, Catherine, uh, way back, was Assistant Secretary of Housing and Federal Housing Commissioner under Bush 1, she also was a former managing director and board member of a firm uh, uh, not around anymore, Dylan Reed and Company. Uh, they, they seem to merge into others, and the names changes. But but the, yeah, they're but, part but, of UBS now. <laughs> the scheme stays the same, Catherine, just bigger and, and uglier, and so on. And now now you're the editor of. Uh, 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 <laughs> did I do, did I oh would I make it Solari dot com right? Right. I published the Solari Report, which is a sort of an executive private briefing for subscribers, and we do it three times a, uh, a month. And then there are all sorts of sort of other resources, audio seminars and other things. And it's really for people who want to understand the deeper news as it relates to protecting their personal assets and wealth and, and doing it in a way that's positive towards community and the world. So um, anyway, so I published the Solari Report, and then... I'm also an investment advisor. I have a company called Solari Advisory, uh, Solari Investment Advisory Services. And day to day, I'm just really, whether it's through the Solari Report or the blog, which is available, of course, to everyone, I'm just focused on helping people build a pathway through the thicket <laughs> of what you and I talk about. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the question is, okay, well, 
you know, what do I do and how do I do something that's positive for me and the and the greater good? So well, that's Kathy, my. You call it the thicket, and I call it the dark forces working against us. <laughs> well, but you know, they're not just dark forces because you, um, you know, you've got you've got everybody kind of going along with it, whether they, have, you know, have faced that consciously or not. So and 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 the majority of people are just thinking that they can hang out in the middle of the road and of course what's happening is there's a divide going on where the middle of the road is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and people being forced to choose so you know I think as as people watch that middle ground get eaten away then their question is okay well what do I do you know how do I navigate through this because I'll tell you, I was I was forced, as you know, by litigation with the federal government to kind of go out in the wilderness, and um, and there's not a lot of dedication out in the wilderness to creating something which is financially and emotionally sustainable. <laughs> so I think what many people are asking is, the middle of the road goes away. How do how can I create something that's, you know, a really alternative vision? Because it's one thing to say that you don't like the vision of the pro centralization team. But the pro-centralization team is dealing with the real problems, whether we like it or not. Now, we, we don't like how they're dealing with it, but they're dealing with it. And so we have to have an alternative vision that, that deals with the real problems, you know, on a timely basis. Oh, indeed. So, Catherine, and, and, and you emphasize localism so much, and I really buy that. Uh, we have uh, we have uh, federal forces, and even in the state, I mean, we have, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Republicans or Democrats, uh, we have a very uh, anti-populist uh, Democrat governor in Illinois, an even worse one who will become, who is currently our mayor in Chicago, where I live, and an even worse one than uh, Richard M. Daley to replace him. I wrote several times about Ron. Emanuel, I simply can't believe that Rahm Emanuel will be, will be my next mayor. I, I, I mean, I, I call, assume you have <laughs> computer voting in Chicago. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there was an old Chicago politician way back who I quoted a couple of times before my time, Patty Bowler, and, and he said way back when, and boy, it's even truer now, Chicago ain't ready for reform. Well, it sure ain't ready for reform with Rahm Emanuel about to become mayor on the 16th of May. And I call him what he is, uh, among other things, besides being a crook uh, uh, and, and allied with the worst crimes of, of the Obama people, and really the Republicans, because he was a, he was uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, a figure in the Congress for a good while, and he made uh, a reputed uh, uh, $18 million for, uh, with an investment firm in a remarkably short period of time, Catherine. I, 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 mean, I mean, you can't make that kind of money that fast unless something is going on that we don't know about. But, I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, and he's also an unindicted war criminal. Uh, without question, I mean, America is fighting all these illegal wars around the world, three of them, plus uh, all the mischief that we're, we're, we're doing in all these other countries. Uh, all of these countries infested with CIA. IA agents, the special forces, and they're just stirring the pot everywhere, including strategically important places like the Middle East that absolutely has my focus very, very heavily. Didn't, didn't work on it the last couple of days, but I'm sure I'm going back there. And Wisconsin, uh -huh. the issue in Wisconsin for me, Catherine, isn't just Wisconsin, it's the whole country. And, uh, I mean, Wisconsin is a very important area, but the same stuff is going on state after state after state, in Tennessee as well. Right. Uh, 
Well, you're there. You, you, you can see what's going on. But, but from New York to California to Illinois to uh, New England, I mean, you just go on and on, and, and Republican and Democrat administrations are going at stripping benefits, stripping public workers of their benefits. And the war also includes private workers because industry wants to do their best stripping them. So the workers are getting hammered. Investors are getting hammered. People believing in peace instead of war, they're getting Hammered. It's a tough go. Well, well I would say it another way. They're re-engineering. In other words, you had uh, you had the baby boomers generate a huge amount of capital and retirement capital and savings, and um, and during the '90s uh, and the first part of the uh, of the new century, that money was shifted out in a variety of both legal and illegal ways. And now that the money is gone, the question is, okay, how do we re-engineer the the promises in the contracts because the money's been stolen. And, of course, to do that, you have to make that look politically legitimate. It's kind of like, oops, the, you know, we, the money has been, you know, there's not enough money, so uh, we're going to, you know, we, we, there's not enough, and so now we have to change things. And do, do you know what I mean? In other words, you need a, you need a smoke screen to cover what's really going on and the fact that things have been siphoned. So, uh, you know, so so you're re-engineering at the same time you're creating an enormous political obfuscation, uh, you know, so that nobody ever says, well, wait a minute, where's the money? <laughs> oh, boy, where's, where's Where the money? Where'd all that money indeed? go? Oh, indeed. And uh, we, we know about at least $12.3 or $4 trillion given to the bankers. I suspect it's more than that. But well, $4 you... trillion dollars is missing from the federal government before the bailout that we know of. <laughs> before you know, the... and we haven't tried to do a complete count. <laughs> so, And if you look at how much money, it's interesting. I, I haven't looked at the background of the governor of Wisconsin, but somebody said to me he used to work at Lehman. Is that correct? I'm sorry, that I worked at Lehman's? No, 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 that the governor of Wisconsin, the new governor... Oh, oh, the, oh, oh, oh Scott Walker. Did he work at Lehman Brothers? Oh, I honestly don't know. I, I saw nothing. I've written about him uh, a number of times in the articles I've done. I saw nothing in the research that I did saying he worked for any Wall Street firm. Yeah, well, somebody just told me that yesterday, but I haven't had a chance to check it out. But let me explain the dynamic, because it doesn't really matter if he worked at Lehman or not. Yeah, and, and let me go back to a story that you and I have talked about. In, in spring of 1997, I met with a group of really outstanding, wonderful pension fund leaders, including the president of CalPERS, the largest uh, pension fund in the country at the time. And I gave them a presentation of how we could re-engineer government investment in this country that would significantly, dramatically help the middle class sort of jump the curve on globalization because we knew their incomes were going to drop as a result of moving all the jobs abroad, and, and, uh, but also it could make a fortune for the pension funds, which was essential because we needed to have the pension funds perform so that they could keep all their commitments to uh, the retirees. And, he, and the president of CalPERS looked at me and he said, you know, so I gave this whole presentation and I showed how the numbers worked and how we could absolutely, by decentralizing and, and reengineering government money, you know, sort of come out with a win-win. And he looked at me and he said, you don't understand. It's too late. They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out in the fall. You've got to get to Nick, meaning Nick Brady, who'd been the Secretary of Treasury and uh, had been my partner on Wall Street when I was a partner and managing director of Dillon Reed and Company. So, so uh, and then what happened that 
it was that fall that uh, all the money started to really leave, including the money started disappearing from the federal government. Now, let me tell you why I'm telling you this story. I'm telling you this story because the pension fund leaders knew that incomes in America were headed down even dramatically. And, and at the same time, they bought, Stephen, huge amounts of mortgage-backed securities that were predicated on lending lots more money to people on much bigger houses that they knew they weren't going to be able to afford because they on in the other you know part of the portfolio they're they're financing moving all their jobs abroad. So if I'm a pension if I'm the head of a pension fund and on one hand I'm financing big corporations to move all of your jobs abroad and at the same time I'm buying paper that has you buying bigger and bigger houses that I know you won't be able to afford. <laughs> And I'm planning on losing money. In other words, I'm in complete violation of my fiduciary obligations because I'm helping to siphon huge amounts of money out through the mortgage-backed securities market, which is exactly what happened. I I can't even imagine how much money has been drained off. Now, if you're Lehman Brothers or, you know, whoever... All these guys are getting campaign do- donations from you're the ones who are selling them the phony baloney paper. I mean, I think one of the reasons they let Lehman go down is they couldn't afford, you know, they needed all those files to disappear. <laughs> so, so, so you've now sold these pension funds huge amounts of phony baloney paper. They've made a much lower return, so they have much less assets. And now you turn around and say, oh, the teachers are bad. They're being paid much too much. We need to to cut the teachers because they're taking advantage of things. And it's very easy to stoke those fires because, of course, the, as the economy has ramped down and all the income has gone abroad, the private workers are now making less in many instances than some of the municipal workers and, and government workers, and there's jealousy. Yeah, so, I, I have to tell you, I, I know a fair number of teachers, uh, a good number come on this program, uh, I don't think any of them are getting rich from their teaching. And I oh check. no, of course not. No, but 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 all you need is a couple of exceptions or a couple of you know people who work huge over, overtime and have doubling and this and that, and you can spin it. And you know how good these guys are. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. so all you have to do is find a couple of like there are a couple of outrageous situations in California. In fact. They probably were engineered by the boys for just this purpose. And, and you know, you spin it out, and, and it's great economic warfare. And, of course, uh, the next thing you know, everybody's like, yeah, let's slash the teachers. It's very manipulated, but that is what it is. I mean, part of, part of what we need to build an alternative vision is to be able to see the game and, and not get manipulated by it. And I think the question is, when can we create, you know, when can a critical mass of people be created who don't fall for the tricks and the games? It's a, it's a big struggle, Catherine, and in my articles, I've made it very clear. Um, the article I put out today uh, was on union busting in America, and it, it, it's a sickening scheme because against the working people, whether we're talking about public or state workers, teachers, or anybody else, we, we, have, we, have, a, we have collusion going on. Government and corporate bosses, not just them combined, but you've got them working hand-in-glove with union bosses, literally in the tank for business and, uh, and the management interests against the, the interests of their own rank and file. And, well, but let's, let's step back and look at what's happening, because the, the, this kind of scary thing about the situation is, in my experience, if you go up the ladder, 
I mean, if you go up the ladder to the mayor's office, the governor's office, if you go up the ladder to the to the guy who runs the Wall Street firm, increasingly the thing is so centralized, Stephen, they have no power, and they're operating in a world where uh, people can be poisoned and assassinated regularly with impunity. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if part of the Gibby Gafford hit was to basically say to everybody in Congress, you know, you either do what you're told or look what's going to happen to you. Oh, so, uh- Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I I say things like uh, nobody gets a position of power, probably in corporations and for certain in government, unless they're safe, uh, unless they know the game and they'll play the game. And if once in a while a mistake is made, that person is replaced one way or the other, either vertically or horizontally. And, and there's no question that Kennedy was taken out. And, and I wrote an article about Kennedy some months ago and just reviewed some of the things he did. It was so anti this, the power system. I mean, just incredibly. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, Kennedy really was our last president. He, he was the last guy who really thought he was in charge. Well, I mean, he paid the supreme price. <laughs> yeah, he did. He really did. Well, of course, Bobby did as well, and Martin Luther King, uh, not for civil rights, but because he had some other ideas, like we we shouldn't be fighting illegal wars in Vietnam. And uh, I mean, that was that was his real great speech that nobody ever hears about, and uh, and uh, 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 fighting for worker rights and social uh, work, uh, work, social justice for workers and things like that. It's one thing to to to, to want uh, uh, no more Jim Crow. It's another thing to say we want a living wage and we want. And benefits, and we want good unions. Oh, well, my goodness, you simply cannot talk like well, that. Well, but I think that's the wrong way to go at it. I really do. I think I think the way you have to go at it is uh, is sort of what I call net energy plus. Here's the value we create, and we want a portion of the value we create. If you look at at the equity values in a community, and I don't mean to to change education into something that serves corporate interests, it shouldn't. Um, you know, the, the reason we have education is we want to be civilized people, not because we want to make money. So I want to make that really clear. But if, if you look at the health and the well-being of a community and then you look at its financial health, one of the most important issues is does they, do they have a great educational system? Do they have a great cultural life? And teachers create incredible value to the human, you know, to the human wealth of a place and the financial wealth as well. And if you look at what they're paid, you know, frankly, it's it's uh, they're underpaid. They really, uh, they really yeah, they're uh, they're underpaid, and so I think I think we have to stop saying, we you know, give me this because government is not a vending machine. Do you know what I mean? Oh sure. Um, we operate in financial ecosystems, and and we need to be prepared to come to the table and say, I can create more value than you. And the reality is, if if you look at some of these debates, the people who are marching, you know, my my fantasy is they come to the table and say, look, we can create more value than your Wall Street bankers. So, you know, let's stop paying them and let's start paying us, uh, uh, you know, a portion of, of the value we create. Now, where that breaks down, Stephen, is what I've talked about many times, which is the red button problem, which is if you look at the standard of living in America – um, we are really dependent on the ability of Wall Street to basically push and debase currency around the world and, and tax the globe and then, you know, and trade it for natural resources cheap. 
And so the federal credit mechanism has become a global taxation system, and traditionally, you know, everybody in the middle of the road has benefited financially from that. You're talking about people having their retirement plans and their individual stock portfolios, and they absolutely want government policies that will make the values of what they own go up, not go down. So that's, right. that's, that's your red button uh, 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 metaphor. Uh, oh, I agree right, with you. It's also the federal credit mechanism depends on warfare and organized crime to basically tax the globe. And and traditionally, everybody in America has been, or most of us have been the beneficiary of that. And as long as we were the beneficiary, we were happy to see it happen and other people be exploited. It, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, when somebody comes to me angry that they're the victim of this model, my question is, well, the land you live on was stolen from somebody who was genocide, genocided, and you're the beneficiary of that. Have you ever sought out their ancestors to pay them rent? You know, oh, so absolutely. So yep. if we're gonna if we're gonna object to the model, then we have to object to the model as both beneficiary and victim. Well, very definitely. Uh, I do feel, Catherine, and in my own business life and small family business, uh, I practiced uh, what uh, my good parents taught me. I simply did not w- want to make money on the backs of somebody else. I hurt. And uh, I, I, I never, I, I never uh, became one of the super rich. Uh, I, I made a decent living, and I'm proud to say that I stuck by my principles, and, and I can sleep well at night because I never exploited anybody for any reason. I, I never got a dime in corporate welfare. I never did anything under the table, and thankfully, I never really was asked. Only one time was I ever asked for anything that was minor, and I, and I very politely declined. But other than that, I really wasn't asked to participate in any shenanigans, but I simply couldn't imagine doing it. But, you know, we're talking about a private company, not a public one, so we could do anything we wanted. We didn't have to answer to Wall Street. And uh, right. looking back, it was wonderful. I mean, that's that's the way to operate. I'm all for that kind of capitalism. It's the other kind that I'm against. <laughs> Whatever happened to the participatory budgeting um uh, project that Brown University was doing in Chicago. Oh, I honestly don't know. I didn't. I had. I had no idea what Brown University was doing in Chicago. If, if you go to my blog, there's uh, a series of posts from 2009 called Financial Ecosystems Part One, Part Two, and Part Three, and they're about a um, uh, an effort by the Watson Institute for International Studies at Brown University. They did, uh, on participatory budgeting, they did, it was funded in part by the Ford Foundation. And um, they did something in the 49th Ward on participatory budgeting where you get all the, um, the uh, you know, the citizens into, uh, uh, you know, sort of look at the local budget and talk about how they could re-engineer the local budget in a way that would, you know, sort of deal with the cutbacks. Oh, I'm, I'm all for that, Catherine, but I have to tell you, I mean, in Chicago, to, to expect reform in Chicago is like expecting a, a beach day in January here. I, 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 I mean, it simply doesn't happen, but I have to tell you this. Well, the reason, the reason I ask is if you look at the parties involved, the, the key guy uh, at the Watson Institute and then the, um, uh, you know, Brown University were players in making a big pot of money on a prison company deal uh, that got lots of contracts from the administration when Rahm Emanuel was, you know, working for Clinton in the White House. 
And so the linkages between Brown and, and the people involved in that and Ron Emanuel are pretty interesting. You mean working for Obama in the White House? Uh, no, for Clinton. Oh, he well, I well, I know he was involved as well, and uh, he also was a past campaign manager for, for Richard Daly, believe it or not. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, his 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 past has a lot of uh, uh, entangling differences, in, uh, 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 alliances in there. I mean, he goes back a good ways. But uh, oh, the one thing I want to throw in quickly. Uh, I mean, expecting to reform Chicago is, is really a mouthful. I we I can't even get in. I, I, I'm I'm in Involved with a group of people in my condominium, we can't even reform our condo. Uh, our elections are rigged. Our budgets are controlled. Uh, our property manager steals us blind, and, and we can't get the word out and convince enough people in the building that we have to get rid of these people. Unless you love being fleeced. Uh, so I mean, just our own well, private world here's, here. Here's the challenge. Uh, Julian Assange did a great interview in Time Magazine about a month and a half ago, two months ago, and. Um, someone, he, he said, you know, political change in America doesn't result in change because America's been fiscalized. And what he meant by that was that the, literally, if you look at the household and county level, almost every household is directly or, or you know, with one or two degrees of separation dependent on federal programs, federal contracts, federal financial flows, and then you have very complex and tricky regulation. And so ba basically everybody's got so many different, is subject to so many different contracts that, that they can't, in other words, they're locked in. The thing is locked in at a very minute level, and there's very little wiggle room because, because there's no local economy. Everybody's on the dole, so to speak. It's very much, you know, it's more sort of centrally controlled financially than the Soviet Union was when the Soviet Union fell. So you have a very Soviet economy. Oh, I, I believe it in the people again, whether we're talking about a Chicago mayor, an Illinois governor, or top officials in Washington, uh, you've got the party structure that pretty much uh, picks these folks, uh, the ones that they can rely on to keep their system going. And uh, and they're all tied in together in, in the same system. I mean, it's a mean and nasty battle to go up against this. Uh, my only feeling is that uh, uh, the more people get hurt, maybe the angrier they'll get one of these days. And uh, I believe and uh, one of my guests uh, said it on this program, that uh, uh, for some reason Americans are not reacting the way they should. Wisconsin is glorious, but we need a lot more than that, and we, and we need it sustained. And his feeling in mind was that uh, they, really, they really won't react overwhelmingly to, to where the power in the country feels threatened until they get hungry, and they wonder whether they'll be able to feed their kids. Then, then that's when the rubber really meets the road, and, and I believe it. I, I think it may take that to get people aroused enough to realize that government is not working to, to benefit us. Uh, really, they're, they're I don't working. know anybody who doesn't know that already. Well, uh, people I mean, I don't think, think about it, Catherine, because as long as they can put food on the table, they don't worry about it, and they don't worry whether somebody else cannot. It's when they cannot, that's when they worry about it. Right, but I, I also think they're afraid. I don't, I don't know anybody who, at a conscious or subconscious level, doesn't, isn't concerned about real violence if they don't toe the line. And say uh, it's uh, wonderful having Catherine back. She is very insightful on these things, and she has special expertise. 
because she's been on the inside at a high level in both uh, business and uh, Wall Street and government. So she has seen the system like few of us have. I certainly have never seen it from that point of view. And my small business experience certainly was nothing like uh, the halls of Wall Street and their boardrooms. Uh, it's a very tough goal that we face, and uh, I fight the battle every day. And I, I must say, I, I understand a little bit of fear because I know the people I go up against in my writing and on this program, the things we talk about. I'm sure they're aware of me. I've done so much of this. So uh, we're, all, we're all subject to having those uh, folks uh, come at us one of these days. Uh, in one sense, I say I'm too old to worry about it uh, in my mid-70s, and I just made a commitment to do what I'm doing. And I'm going to do it no matter what. Uh, it's easy for me to say, but so far I've kept doing it, and uh, I hope I will, and I hope my health will continue, because the battle is uh, a very serious one. And uh, I worry about the future of the country. I see us heading uh, uh, straight downhill very fast for a very dark ending unless enough people realize that it's up to us to change it because nobody, nobody else is going to do it but us and fear and no fear and hunger and no hunger uh, if we want to wait until uh, the roof comes crashing down on us well uh, at that point it's too late uh, we need to do something now while there's still time and while we have a chance so join us this weekend we will continue with two more wonderful guests over the weekend and every program talking about the most important things everybody needs to know, please tune in.